If you have your scriptures with you, open them to 1 Peter, the first chapter, and we'll continue our series in this wonderful book that Peter wrote to the churches that were dispersed throughout Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. So let's read again uh, the first 12 verses, and then we'll begin. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not serving, they were serving not themselves but you in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Peter's going to talk about suffering and the tension that exists between suffering and joy. No matter who you are or where you live or what religion you keep, uh, uh, what your belief system is, everyone suffers. It's universal. It's one of the few things that we can say uh, is universal to all humanity. In fact, we can even go so far as to say that the creation itself is indeed suffering, that there's something wrong with the world uh, that we live in. I don't know if any of you are following the, uh, uh, the civil war that is going on in the Middle East, primarily in, uh, in western Iraq and eastern and northern uh, Syria. Uh, my family is from the Middle East. Uh, my dad's family is from Syria. and My mom's family is from what is now Lebanon. And uh, five or six years ago when the civil war started in uh, uh, Syria. Uh, we had some relatives. I don't know them. My dad knows who they are. But 
they were stopped at a checkpoint in Homs, Syria, one of the first places where the uh, civil war got going and many people were killed. And for no reason, uh, two Christian men, these relatives of my dad, for no apparent reason were taken out of their cars and were shot dead at the checkpoint uh, by some terrorist uh, people. Since then, the situation in the Middle East in this part of the world has degraded to the point where it's, it's horrific. And if you have watched the news and have seen the uh, statistics, in the past five years, 65 million people have been displaced and are trying to find their homes uh, in other places in the world. And no matter, I don't want to get into all the politics surrounding this kind of immigration, but understand this, that this is nothing new. This has been going on from time immemorial. People being, their lives being shattered and, them, and huge numbers of populations having to be picked up and moved. And this is what Peter is addressing with this dispersion. And this dispersion in Asia uh, could have been referring to Jews that had been displaced from Jerusalem who were believers or maybe they were other kind of believers. But people get scattered and there is intense suffering when that happens. And Jesus promised that we as believing Christians uh, were to find our peace and our security in Him. Now, if, if you've watched the news and you've seen the, the horrors that are going on, you'll notice that in the rubble of a place like Aleppo, Syria, in the rubble of the city, there are people, they set up their, their, uh, uh, their, their tables and they sell their vegetables and their there's a certain degree of joy and happiness in the normal, everyday living of life. Children are in the streets kicking their, uh, their soccer balls around amongst uh, the devastation. There's an irrepressible joy that God has placed in the heart of human beings. And we all desire that joy. And we will find it. We will strive for it no matter how much we're suffering. All of you, uh, and many of you I know, have had very serious suffering in your lives for whatever reasons. And you have to find a center for your joy. The difference, I think, between Christianity and everything else is that Christianity insists, and listen carefully to me, it insists that when you're faced with suffering, that you find your joy in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you try to find your joy in your circumstances, how much money you have, how well your career is doing, how good a health you have, uh, whether or not you've got a home. I mean, if your home's been destroyed, if you've lost one of your children, or perhaps your marriage has gone sideways and everything's gone wrong. If you try to find your joy in circumstances, what's going to happen to your joy? It's going to go up and down and side this way and that way, hither, thither, and yon. But if you center and locate your joy in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you're still going to suffer. Suffering will still come. But what is promised to us, and what Peter is going to make very clear, and we're going to look at in a moment, is that underneath that suffering, there will be a current, a foundation, if you will, a structure of joy that will anchor your soul, that will hold you in place. And though you are tossed, 
like uh, a ship on the waves of the sea, there will be an anchor point that you can... And it doesn't mean that you won't suffer. It doesn't mean that you won't have trouble. You will. But there will be that underneath security and joy. It will be pervasive. And Peter is going to talk about this. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives to you, do I give. I give you a different kind of peace. These things I've spoken to you. He, he's referring to the, his, his gospel message. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He even went so far as to say no one will be able to take this joy away from you. Now we live, as, as David prayed so beautifully in his prayer, we live in a very prosperous country. A land, there's, I don't care how poor you are in America, you're richer than most people. We live in a land flowing with milk and honey and it's so easy for us to get complacent. And you watch the news, you see these things happening in the Middle East or elsewhere, and it's so foreign, so abstract that we cannot possibly identify with it. It's very difficult. But folks, I've been telling you, and I'll, I'll tell you again, uh, the world is changing. And we are going to see some... I don't care who you're going to vote for, what, who gets elected, these next four years are going to be rough in this country. Because we've seen, we've seen the, the general degradation of our culture. And what we have to do as Christians is we have to do exactly what Peter and the apostolic teaching and the teaching of Jesus is. We have got to not, not be carping and complaining and wringing our hands at all of these things, but be agents of change, light and salt in a degrading world. And if we can't do that, then I have a simple question for you. Who do you want to do it? Who's going to do it? If the, if the Christian church does not stand up for what it believes and truly become salt and light to this world, who's going to do it? I don't know that anyone else will do it. And so let's be different. Let's talk this morning about this suffering and joy that exists together. Because if statistics are true, 75% of Christians, listen to this, this is a statistic. 75% of Christians who have a trauma or a suffering in their lives actually quit believing in God or never trust Him again. They may continue to go to church, they may continue to put on the Christian thing on the outside, but inside there's a deep-seated distrust of God. And I would like to suggest to you that the reason is because our theology about suffering and our theology about joy is not biblical. It's coming to us from late night Christian television. It's coming to us from, from any host of other places. But it is not coming from the Bible. The Bible teaches us that suffering is actually good. A good thing. Now, this may be unpopular for you, but trust me, if you'll listen, it can help you. And if it doesn't help you, I'll give you your money back. Maybe. 
All right, let's look at these. Let's look at these things. Actually, it's not as dire as you may think. It's it's actually should give you great joy and encouragement to hear what Peter has to say. We're going to look at three things very quickly this morning. First of all, the strangest of bedfellows, the strangest of bedfellows, the reality of the tension that exists between joy and grief, joy and suffering. Secondly, we'll look at the strangeness of the crucible, the strangeness of the crucible, the recasting, if you will, of that tension, refining our faith. What's really going on in a trial or suffering? What is underneath it? Uh, And thirdly, we'll look at the strangeness of loving the unseen. Loving the unseen. In other words, how do we redeem this tension? And Peter lays it out very clearly. How do we redeem the tension? Seeing and loving the unseen. So let's go with the first thing. Strange, the strangest of bedfellows. The reality of the joy, uh, tension that exists between joy and grief. Peter is going to, has already we talked about this tension that exists. Elect exiles. Already he starts talking about, you mean I'm elect God really loves me. He's chosen me out of all the population of the world. He chose to love me. Wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? I can't believe how privileged I am. Oh no, I'm an exile? I'm a pilgrim? How do those things fit together? Elect exiles. Right away, he tells us we are elect. And he tells us we have a living hope. In other words, we're not hopeless. But we know what it is to live in a world of hopelessness. He says, but for you, you have a living hope. So right away in his letter, he talks about the tension that exists. He says, in this, he's talking about the the content of the first five verses, in this you rejoice. We're to rejoice in being elect exiles. We're to rejoice in having to, to fight against hopelessness. We are to rejoice in these things. We are to rejoice that God has come into a broken world and saved us out of this broken world. There's a certain amount of joy that is running up underneath. And, here, and listen, here's what he says. Though now, for a little while, you're grieved by various trials. There's going... Uh, there's going to be these trials that are running through your life, this suffering that is going to also be coming, but you're to be rejoicing at the same time. Uh, Perhaps a better translation of this, and and many uh, commentators suggest that this is a better translation. Peter is acknowledging the tension, yet he insists on joy by centering us in Christ. Because you could translate this not in this, but in whom. In fact, I looked it up in the Greek, and it is in fact the same verb that's in verse 8, where he's talking about Christ himself. And so he's, what the commentators are saying is we could say this, and better, perhaps, than what it's uh, translated in in this particular translation. In whom we greatly rejoice. Dr. Edmund Clowney says this, He describes our joy in Christ so it's possible. Listen, this is amazing. So it's possible that he's thinking not just of all the blessings we have in Christ, but of Christ in whom we have the blessings. Do you see the difference? Do you see it? 
Let me repeat it. Perhaps he's thinking not just of all the blessings we have in Christ, but of Christ in whom we have the blessings. And I think, I think this commentator, Dr. Clowney, is right. Because if you focus your life, even if you're focusing your life and saying, wow, look at, how blessed, look at all these blessings that I have. What happens when those perceived blessings evaporate? What happens when you go to the doctor and he says you've got cancer? What happens when your wife comes home and says, I don't love you anymore, I love somebody else? What happens when you get the dreaded phone call and somebody says there's been an accident and your husband's been killed or your child was killed? What happens when the perceived, what you perceive as a blessing, everything's going great in my life, what happens when the bank calls and says you're overdrawn, you've got no more money, your identity's been stolen and all your money's been taken? The perceived blessing evaporates. And if, even if that is what you've got your hopes in, you lose. But if your hope, listen folks, if it is rooted and grounded in Christ from whom all blessings flow, think of this. It's, it's mind-blowing. Nothing can be taken away from you. Nothing can be robbed. The Apostle Paul went so far as to say, whether I live or whether I die, I win. He takes the two extremes of human existence, life and death, and he says, not, life, great. Death, better. Now that's amazing. That is something that no other religion can say. Not another faith belief in this world can say that. That you are, are, are so secure that your hope and your joy and your faith are so well guarded, as Peter said in these verses, that nothing can touch you. Yes, you will lament. Yes, you will be hurt. Yes, things can happen that are horrifically bad. But underneath and beyond it all, someone is there who has you. You don't have him. He has you. And He will not let you go. How you view God, how you look at God, is He the means to an end? Is He the means for you to be blessed and get blessings? Christians love cliches, you know, and bumper sticker theology. You go up to somebody, a Christian, and you say, how are you? What is their bumper sticker theology answer? I'm so blessed. I'm blessed. That's bumper sticker theology because we think we have got to say, I'm blessed. Would you say that if all of those things I just mentioned had happened to you? Probably. Because you don't want anybody to really know what's going on. You would never think, we would never think to come to church and somebody say, how are you? And we'd say, have you got an hour? I'll tell you how things are. You really want to know? Most people don't want to know. In fact, when they start telling me that stuff, I start backing up and saying, hey, we got a session. You know, you need to call the elders. <laughs> no, we put, on a, we put on that bumper sticker theology. We put on the mask of Christianity. And I'll tell you what, folks. Suffering will strip that mask away so fast you won't even know what happened. 
And God wants you to take the mask off. He wants you to be authentic. You know, my life, is in, my life is in the tank right now. I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to step up and be my friend and stand with me. Will you get in the foxhole with me? Will you, catch my ba- Will you watch my back, as they say? Will you be there for me? And this is, believe me, we're going to need this. How do you view God? An end in himself or the means to an end? Tim Keller says, do we, see, do we serve God for what we can get from Him? Or do we serve God for God Himself? And I have to make a confession, folks. For, for the majority of my Christian life, I served God. I'm ashamed to say it, but I'll say it. Who cares? I served Him for what I could get from Him. And when I heard Dr. Keller say that back, in, when, back at RTS in Orlando in 1997, when that came crashing in on me that I was there to serve him, when Dr. Richard Pratt said, most of you students are here in seminary because of guilt. Because you feel guilty and you want to do something good with your life and you want to change the world. And, and guys were sitting there with white knuckles in their chairs. They were so mad at Dr. Pratt for saying that. And I was weeping and saying, I'm here because of guilt. I'm trying to make up for a life that I wasted in sin. Do you see? And it's that, then God can do something with your life. When, we, when you start to see that you're serving Him, for the blessings and not for Him. But when that changes, if that could change today for some of you, say, you know what? Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, you all know the hymn. Let it all go. Whatever happens, whatever suffering comes into my life, I will serve Him to the grave. I will, stay, I will go no matter what happens. I may not understand it. It may make no sense to me. But I will not let him go. I will hang in with him no matter what. When your life change, you start to see him as the end in itself. Him. Him. And not the blessings. Your life will change. And the blessings will all, all of a sudden will take on a whole new meaning. They'll actually become blessings. Instead of this fakery that we put on in Christianity. And so I'm, I'm encouraging you folks to think deeply Why do 75% of Christians fall away from the faith or never can trust God again because they've suffered? Why? It's because we have bad theology. We don't see suffering for what it really is. For what it really is. Peter and James both said, Rejoice in your sufferings. Count it all joy when you suffer. And we shudder when we hear those words. Because nobody likes to suffer. So what is Peter doing? What, did, what was James doing? What are they trying to communicate? What exactly is going on? This is the strangeness of the crucible. This is the next part. The strangeness of the crucible. Recasting uh, our tension. You know, when I was, uh, in, I was in business for 20 years, I owned a dental laboratory. We made fixed prosthetics. We made gold and porcelain crowns and things like that. We didn't make dentures. We didn't make anything that was removable. Ours were made uh, uh, to, to go into the mouth with cement, with glue, and stay there, you know, as long as... In fact, some of my dental work lasts longer than the people who we put it in. No. Um, 
And, and we, so we had to, we used gold and, and we would uh, melt gold in a crucible. The crucibles were little clay things like this. And we had a centrifuge. We'd wind the centrifuge up and, and we'd melt the gold in the crucible. And then we'd have this little mold of the tooth that we're going to shoot the gold into the mold with the centrifuge. And it was quite an operation. You know, the, the guys would get their torch. I had a, a big torch and it would throw out a flame and they would get the torch and they'd melt the gold and the gold would... would go from little chunks, little ingots, what we called ingots, they would go down into a pool and they would pool in the bottom of the crucible and the gold would be all cloudy and yucky looking. And the way you knew, there was no technology uh, that measured the temperature, but it had to be cast at exactly the right temperature. And the way we knew is because when that cloud of dross, the... Uh, uh, the impurities, and we bought dental gold, which is way more pure than any other kind of gold you can buy. When we, w- w- even it had impurities in it. And when that, that cloud, that skin that was on the, the gold cleared away, and the thing was shiny and bright and getting brighter and brighter, that's when you knew and that's when you'd pull the pin and let the thing, and it would shoot the gold, hopefully, into the mold. A few times it went all over the room. Uh, and then I would fire the person that, that did it. That's how you knew. You were refining the gold. You were making it suitable, getting it to the right temperature. You were, reca- you were casting it to a shape, to a form. And this is what Peter is talking about in verse 7. So, the testing of the genuineness of your faith, he's talking about the suffering now, more precious than gold that perishes through testing, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, folks, when, and I told you this a few weeks ago, but listen to me, please. When suffering comes, when trials come, you have a choice. You can go one of two ways. You can either grow angry and bitter and, and, and start to question God and all His motives. And you know what? The, the questioning of God and His motives, the asking of the question why when you're suffering, is okay. That's a process and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you find yourself going down deeper and deeper into bitterness and self-pity and anger and poor me and you start shaking your fist at God and saying, you know what, I don't trust you. You know, in all the horrors that King David went through and the writers of the Psalms uh, that, that helped him during his time of writing, all of those people who suffered, you never see them shaking their fist at God in anger and saying, I don't trust you. They said, why? David said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you let me stay in this state? They questioned, yes, but they didn't shake their fists. And many people, their expectations are so unbiblical that when the trouble comes, the foundation is taken away and they're, they're on their back. They can no longer hold on to their faith because their faith was in something else than Christ in whom all blessings... Well, their, their, their faith, their confidence was in the blessing. Look how great my life is. Look how well God must be blessing me. If that's the case, then Jesus Christ, our Savior, was the most unblessed of people. He didn't have anywhere to lay his head. His own family turned against him. The religious authorities thought he was a heretic and a nut. 
And at the very end, his own father turned his face away as Jesus bore the wrath for our sin and our guilt. Can you imagine if you define blessings by all of these good things and don't see what suffering is and what it can be for you? People can turn towards anger and bitterness and resentment and shaking their fist at God. Or you can question Him. You can say, Lord, I don't know why this is happening. Why? How long are you going to let this happen? But... I will trust you. I will stay. You have been faithful to me. I will stay faithful to you. I will stay. I will remain. Come what may. When that happens, humility, openness, teachability, when that happens, your soul changes. I know that most of you long for transformation. You want to be what God has designed for you to be. This is one of the ways. Is it an easy way? No, it's hard. Now you can leave here and you can drive 15 minutes to probably another dozen churches and they'll all tell you something different. They'll tell you the exact opposite of what I'm saying. And they have thousands of people in them right now. Maybe that's why we're what we are. The message of the gospel is very Very good news, but it's only good because of what? Because there's some bad news. And suffering is real. And so, when fire comes into your life, listen folks, when it comes, it is coming to refine you, not to destroy you. It can destroy you. But you can choose. You can say, no, I am going to stay with Christ. I don't understand why He killed my baby. I don't understand why you took my baby. I don't know why you let my marriage go down the tubes. I don't know why my financial situation is like it is. I don't understand. But I understand this. That you paid the ultimate price. That you lost a child. That you know what it's like to have your family turn against you. You know. And therefore, I'll stick with you. I'll stay with you. Come what may. See, that's what he's looking for. That is the kind of refinement that God wants in our lives because that will hold you when suffering comes. We do not believe. There's no one in this room that believes what is happening in Aleppo, Syria could possibly happen in the United States of America. Do you? Do you? Well, you know, in our lifetime, there were millions of people who absolutely could not believe that Berlin, Germany, would be laying in rubble within a couple of years. There was no one in the empire of Japan that possibly believed that Tokyo, Hiroshima, Nagasaki would be laying in rubble. No one believed it. No one in Babylon believed that someday the Medes and the Persians would completely destroy them and take all their power away and occupy their land. No one believed it. And while I'm not predicting, I don't think that will ever happen in our lifetime, folks, but do not think that it doesn't happen. We are, we are amazingly insulated, yes? We have a room full of military people that have actually been to those places and seen what it's like and can tell us the truth. 
And Peter is telling us the truth. Fire can destroy, so I say to you, run to Jesus. Don't turn your back on Him. Don't shake your fist in His face. Trust Him. Turn to Him. As hard as it may be, as confusing as it may be, He's your refuge. Don't go to Him for the blessings. Go to Him for Him. Okay? And this brings us to the last point. The strangeness of loving the unseen. You know, most of us would love to... We'd love to have Jesus walk in the room so we could actually see Him and touch Him and ask Him questions. But He told us, out of His own mouth, He said, it's better for you if I go away. Because if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is here in His fullness. We have been, each of us who believe in Christ, baptized with the Holy Spirit. So He's living in us in His full measure to lead us and guide us through the suffering, the strangeness of loving the unseen. Peter says, Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy inexpressible. Wow, what a statement. Filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He uses a word in Greek for see. There's two words in Greek uh, for see. One of them means to see, like just normal seeing. But this word that he uses here and in other scriptures that say see, it means more than that. It means that when the reality of seeing is stripped away, there is still a perception, a knowing beneath the sight. It's like even if you were stricken blind, listen, even if you were stricken blind, this word means you could still see. Isn't that amazing? Even if you're stricken blind and you can't see, this word means you can still see. Though you've not seen Him, you still see Him. Because there's a perception in the seeing that you can know Him. And know Him intimately. Blessed, Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen. He pronounced a benediction on all of you and me who have not seen Him. A benediction that He did not pronounce on Peter, James, John, or Thomas, the one He's referring to here. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. Seeing... And I've told you this before, folks. Seeing is not believing. In fact, it's the opposite. Believing will open your eyes and you will see. Jesus Himself said, no one can see. He used the same word. No one can see the kingdom of God unless He's born again. You see, that's the interior sight. And when you're going through suffering, when you're experiencing a trial, when uh, you've lost something that is dear and precious to you, only those eyes will see the refinement that can be obtained through faith. That's what Peter is talking about. Only the eyes of faith given by God can possibly conceive of the meaning of that, of that suffering. How do we know that? Because only the eyes of that kind of faith 
will understand the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, we, we often say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the cross, but then suffering comes and immediately the ground is taken out from under us. Why should it surprise us when our own Lord, our own Savior, when He was reviled, listen, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. These are Peter's words. When He suffered, He did not threaten. But He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. He's saying you've been put back together. The shatteredness of our lives has been reconstructed by the stripes that were on His back. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Listen, folks, Jesus in the cross, at the cross, through the cross, went into the furnace, the refiner's fire, and he took all of the destruction that that fire had to offer, all of the death and the devastation that the fire had to offer, so that not so that you would never be refined, not so that your suffering, uh, you would never have suffering. He didn't suffer so that you wouldn't have to suffer. He suffered so that you could suffer, so that you could actually go through the fire and not be destroyed, not be ruined, so that you could go through the fire of trial and temptation and suffering and not be destroyed, but on the contrary, come out on the other side shining and glowing like gold, ready to be recast in the image of God Himself. Imagine that. We don't have to fear the fire. Yes, it's horrible. Yes, the news is terrible. Yes, it, everything can go bad. But an eternal perspective exists for you and I who believe. That eternal perspective is that we can and will be recast in the image of our God. And the result, he says, is praise, glory, and honor. Praise, glory, and honor. And the way the sentence is constructed is that the praise, the glory, and honor is God giving you praise. God giving you glory. And God giving you honor. In other words, when you step from this life into the next, this, is, this blows my mind. You die and you step from this life into the next and you're standing there before Almighty God Himself. And He rises and embraces you and showers you with praise, honor, and glory. Can you even imagine that? Why? Why does He do that? Because the praise, honor, and glory is just a reflection of Him and what He has done in your life. He is the source of our blessings. The blessings are just blessings. Get Him and you get everything. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you. And uh, I know this is difficult to even talk about these things because there's some suffering in each of our lives that's so horrific and so bad uh, that we don't even know how to think about it. 
and the pain goes so deep that we, we shudder and it can stay with us almost, if not our whole life, almost our whole lives. And I do pray, Father, I know that there are many here today who have suffered greatly and continue to suffer. And I ask you, Father, please have mercy on us. Help us to turn our eyes to Jesus Christ, the one who took the fire of destruction for us on the cross, that we might not be touched by that destruction, but rather be refined and recast in his image. Please, Father, we pray that you'll do that. In Jesus' name, amen.